Oh 
this morning. I want to welcome uh, each and every one of you to the service this morning. Uh, we're going to change the order here a little bit and uh, take some needs uh, before the throne. Sister Becky, if you could just play softly, bring all your needs to the altar. Um, have quite a few prayer requests. Uh, a lot of folks not here this morning. Um, we want to remember uh, the Paschals. Uh, they had to work. Um, the males are uh, traveling in Florida. Uh, we want to remember Brother David and Sister Karen, not here. Brother John Harwell is uh, sick. We want to remember him. Lily Godwin is uh, sick, so we want to remember her. Um, Brother Keith is sick. Actually, Brother Keith was on his way to church this morning. was sick and had to go back home, so we want to remember him. Uh, Mitchell had to work. Uh, today, Brother Jeff Jackson had to work. And uh, we want to remember Brother Jeremy. Uh, I was traveling with him, coming back from uh, Montana. They're traveling back today, so we want to remember them. So, um, Sister Amber put in prayer requests. Uh, friends of her and Chris, Christie's um, are both uh, been diagnosed with COVID, so they want to ask for prayer as well. Um, if you have any needs, just raise them. Uplifted him. Ask Brother Ethan Pritchard if he would come. Let's sing as he comes. So bring all your needs to the altar. I'm thankful there's somewhere we can bring our needs. Amen. So bring all your needs to the altar. We'll bring all your needs to the Lord. We'll pour Dear Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord, we just, we're asking you to come into our, into this place, Lord, in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we just, we just ask you to touch every need that's here, Lord, and every heart that's anxious, Lord, just calm it. Lord, give us answers for our, our lives and our, our uh, things that's happening, Lord, we just ask you to. Touch every request that's been placed here, Lord. Just um, be with us this morning and show us your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Brother Ethan. You can turn and greet those that are around you. Welcome them to the service this morning. And then uh, you may have your seats. you know that song, um, The Great Emancipator? It says A-flat, but I'm, I have no idea. Once my heart and soul were fettered. There you go. Perfect. Once my heart and soul were fettered. 
sins are gone. You ask me why I'm happy. I'm just going to tell you why. You ask. You ask me why I'm happy. So I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are, I say my sins are gone. They are underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. They're in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone. Now it was at the old time altar where God came in my heart. 
And now my sins are gone. Well, the Lord took full possession and the devil did depart. And I'm glad, aren't you? My sins are gone. Well, they are underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn, there in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Now when Satan comes to tempt me, he tries to make me doubt. I say, my sins are gone. Well, you got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out, and I'm glad, aren't you? My sins are gone. Well, they are underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. There in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Now I'm living now for Jesus. I'm happy night and day because my sins are gone. My soul is filled with music. With all my heart I sing. I know my sins are gone. Will they are on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. I'm gonna. I want to sing that fourth verse again. And I wanted to say something real quick. It says, I'm living now for Jesus. I'm happy night and day. That's not our flesh. Amen. That's happy night and day. Because I'm not happy night and day. Maybe some of you are. But I'm not happy every day. But it's our soul. Amen. It says, my soul is filled with music. And I love that. I love those old songs that it makes us happy. We know inside here that flesh sometimes ain't so happy. Right? Every day isn't great. But inside, we know we're happy because we know our sins are gone. Amen? Amen. Let's sing it one more time. I'm living now for Jesus. I'm happy night and day because my sins are gone. Well, my soul is filled with music. With all my heart, I sing. I know. Amen? My sins are gone. Well, they are on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn, there in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are one more time. Well, they are underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn, there in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise.
to come. Bring up the tithes and offerings. Brother Tom, if you could say the blessing on the offering.
Brother Barry uh, gets ready to come. Let's sing that song, uh, Falling in Love with Jesus. It's the best thing I ever did. Amen. I'm so thankful he chose me. Amen. And that, uh, was it uh, was it last Sunday? Our brother from Germany was here. And he was talking about the difference of actually being a part of him. Amen. I just really enjoyed that. Falling in love with him. Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with my Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best I ever in his arms in his arms I feel protected oh in his arms never disconnected in his arms I feel protected there's no place I'd Rather be falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, oh, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus. Was the best thing I ever done in his arms. In his arms. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. It's connected in his arms. No place I'd ever rather be One more time, falling in love with Jesus I'm falling in love with my Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Falling in a lot of folks who are not here today because of sickness and some who are traveling as brother ben mentioned i failed to mention matt cross who's not here today not feeling well and uh, we want to remember him uh, today we also have uh, been praying for cohen and uh, he's here today good to have him here today and uh we are praying that the lord will undertake for him and give him that touch that he needs because we believe that god's able to do that amen uh, so let's bind these requests together this morning and uh, go to him in prayer. I'm amazed that you love me. Let's sing that little chorus this morning and uh, just approach the throne of grace. We have all of these needs that we've mentioned, but we haven't mentioned any need from anyone that's here. So that's going to be your job this morning. 
If you've got something you want to say to him, something you want to give to him as we pray, just lift your hand, lift your voice and your uh, heart and just uh, ask him what, uh, you know, what's the best advice and what's the best direction and what's the answer. Uh, God's able to supply every need. I'm amazed that you love me. I'm amazed how you care through the precious blood I found pardon and my sin time. Yes, I'm amazed that you love me. I'm amazed through your precious blood I found Jesus, those words are sweet to our heart, that all of our sins are washed away. Nothing, Lord, that you can see. We're so thankful for that, Lord. It gives us the assurance that should anything happen to any one of us, Lord, and we leave this world, there would be no hesitation, Lord. There would be no interruption at all, but we would enter into the joys of the Lord. Father, we're thankful for that today. Bless our gathering. Lord, have your way. Come among us. Lord, may you move us all from the way, Lord. I I have, I have thoughts on my heart and I have notes, Lord, and all of those things. But, Lord, they're really trivial when it comes to standing against the thoughts of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just move us from the way and just take complete control of this service for your glory. We want to say, Lord, this morning that we love you more than life itself. You've been so good to us. You've been so patient and so kind. You've answered prayer in so many ways. And, Lord, you have supplied even above and beyond anything we could ask or think. And now, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would just come in this service, Lord, and may we treat it like it could be our last. May, Lord, we, may, Lord, we just focus our thoughts, Lord, entirely upon you and what you would have to say to us. Lord, bring healing to all who need it, and we'll give thanks and glory to you in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Well, while you're standing this morning, let's take your Bible and let's go to the uh, book of Hebrews, if you don't mind, chapter 6. Now, we're going to jump right into this this morning. got a couple of brief announcements here, but uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to capitalize on our time this morning and just be uh, brief and to the point, if that's all right. And I hope that's all right. Not that I try not to be to the point in other days, but maybe we could just uh, try to be very focused here today. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hit that 
button one more time, if you will. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And when Paul writes this, he's not talking about uh, gaining heaven because of our kindness towards the saints. But he is establishing the fact that he does see it. When you're kind to one another, and when you, when you minister and labor in love towards one another, God sees that. And that, that's a good thing. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Now, uh, let me just very briefly here this morning, and I don't want to prolong this, but just very briefly here, uh, let me just say that uh, we have a couple of things that are happening in December. And uh, Brother Joe, it's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, good to see you there today. And uh, Brother Brian, Sister Shirley, back. Uh, may God bless you and appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, may the Lord bless you all. Um, after church today, there will be a sign-up sheet in the library there, and if you don't mind letting us know if you're going to be at the uh, dinner in December. So that'll be December 18th, I believe that it is. It's the last Saturday before Christmas. That's the 18th. Take a minute and sign up there because we need to uh, we need to make sure we have right numbers of everybody who's coming, and uh, we also need some help, and we'll be letting you know about that. So. Um, if you don't mind, just check on that sign-up sheet after church there. That would be great. Now, Sister Kristen is not here today, and uh, she has uh, taken on the job of organizing uh, the December 12th uh, event for the sisters. That's a cookie exchange, and um, if you've never been to one of those, that's certainly something that you want to be a, a part of, for sure, if you're, if you're a lady. And she wanted to me. To, she asked me to remind you that it is for sisters that are 13 and up, and there will be a gift exchange and a cookie exchange. But you don't have to participate in either. Okay, so if you just want to come along for the lunch, uh, there is no free lunch unless you come to this church. Then there's a free lunch. So if you want to come along uh, for that, everybody's welcome. All the girls are welcome uh, for lunch and fellowship. So you don't have to participate in the exchanges, but there, there will be those events that take place there. So um, she just wanted me to remind you of that, if you don't mind. <clears throat> Everybody ready for the word? All right. Now, I'm not sure how far I need to go back here, so forgive me here, but we're back to November 7th. Sister Amber had a birthday, and the Morgleys had their anniversary. Happy birthday, Sister uh, Amber, a little late. November 8th was Sister Melody's, right? God bless you. Did I announce this? Did I? I don't think I did. Uh, the 10th was, was the Clayville's anniversary. How many years? Nine years. God bless you. We are honored to have you with us, and uh, may God bless you and give you a wonderful year. Uh, the 11th is Aiden, was Aiden's birthday, right? How old are you now, Aiden? 
13. Everything happens when you're 13 around here, right? Happy birthday in uh, belated land. Uh, November 12th was Brother Bill Walter's birthday. November 13th was Sister Julia's birthday. We all got that. November 14th uh, was Josiah Mayle's birthday. They're in Florida uh, today. And then November 20th was Big Joe's birthday, right? How old are you, Big Joe? 19 years old. Still single? Yeah, all right. Just checking. We appreciate each and every one of these special events. Let's jump right into the study this morning. This is something that I have not really spoken about in a direct way uh, like this. And so I want you, I want to just, maybe it's this morning, uh, we'll, we'll just work on maybe giving you uh, a definition here of, of this whole idea of inheritance. And... Um, <clears throat> We'll put it in the, in the context here of uh, some of these verses that we're going to use here up front in the, in the Scripture. And we read in Hebrews chapter 6 there that uh, Paul said that we desire, and this is really, uh, you know, relational stuff in the church, the relations between the believers here. And uh, he integrates this in his teaching. Hebrews is a very important uh, uh, teaching tool for us in the in the new testament but he says that uh, god is not unrighteous to forget your uh, labor of love god sees every act of kindness god remembers there's there's nothing that escapes god's attention and uh, when you the idea that paul conveys is the same thing that jesus conveys that uh, when you help somebody you're really expressing your love to god and so uh, we we as as the body of christ we are uh, obviously, then helping one another, that's, a, that's a, a good thing that human beings should do anyway. But, but Paul is underscoring the fact that God doesn't forget that. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't skirt that at all, but he remembers all those acts that we uh, commit towards one another in kindness. And then he says that we desire that every one of you do show the, the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That word diligence there... In the Old Testament, you remember the word diligence where we had to teach our children diligently was the word sharpen uh, that we, we, uh, we illustrated. But this, this word in the Greek here, it means uh, a little, something a little more aggressive. It means uh, the word striving from the English language. It would mean uh, to strive and to be earnest about something. And so Paul says that we desire that you do the same have the same striving in your heart. And a striving is not just a determination. A striving is just get out of my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue this with all of my heart and all the earnestness that I can muster. And so he's not saying that we should, uh, in terms of serving the body and in terms of fulfilling the calling that God's given in your life, in terms of doing what God wants you to do, it should not be a passive thing. It should be an aggressive thing. That we are going to be as steadfast as we possibly can. We're going to be as earnest. And we're going to strive to do it. We're going to strive to get it done. That if we are, uh, if we are called upon by God to perform something and, or where God lays something on our heart, we should make that the number one priority. We don't always, we don't always uh, get a direct word from God like, uh, you know, you shall be a missionary to a certain country. We, we may not. All of us, we may not experience something like that. 
But whenever you come to church and you hear the Word of God preached like this, you're receiving information about the will of God. Would you agree? And therefore, when something strikes you and something impresses you and you realize, wow, that's for me, that's something that God is speaking to me, then you should, uh, you should have the attitude that you're going to take this and pursue it and strive to get it done. We talk about marriage or family or we talking about, uh, you know, our relationship. We're talking about serving the Lord or uh, whatever it is that we, we set our hand to do. We should strive to do that with everything that's in us. Because Satan will try to do everything he can to try to prevent that or slow you down or try to hinder that work. But I believe that our desire and the innermost thing that we should pray for is that God would give me that fighting attitude that I'm going to do whatever God's laid upon my heart. And whatever it is that God has shown me, I'm going to do that with a real diligence in my life and in my soul. And that's what, that's what Paul is writing here. He says that ye may not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience... Inherit the promise. Now, we, I, I want to deal with uh, this. <clears throat> There's a couple of obvious things that are, that are laying here for us, and we want to look at that. And as I've said to you many times before, I think that uh, in terms of living the Christian life, when you read the book, uh, it, it would seem like it's a done deal. I mean, I should be able to just walk out of here Take what you're preaching and live a Christian life. Be victorious. Be happy. Uh, even if, like Brother Ben described this morning, very accurately, that, that the happiness or joy that we feel doesn't always show on our faces. Because physically you may be tired here this morning. Or you may, you may not still be quite over the hour time change yet. What a useless thing. Sorry, that's my... Should I not have said that? But for some people, it takes a long time to get over that, that time change. And I, I, for one, I can't stand it. I wish they'd just leave it alone and uh, uh, just, just kind of let it go because it just messes up the clock in the back, and I think I've preached too long. And you know, it, Anyway, there are times when you feel close to God. There are times when you feel up. There's times when you feel like God is within very close range. And those are, those are good days. Those are, those are times when we feel positive and we feel confident about whatever, uh, whatever God's, uh, you know, laid upon our hearts to do. And whatever you have to do in the run of a day, we feel good about that. But there are also other times when you feel like you're in a valley and God is somewhere else, but he's a long ways from where I am. And, and that's just human nature, isn't it? And if we, if we governed everything by human nature and our feelings, we'd all be in trouble. Uh, we'd all be wondering whether we're saved half the time. So there has to be something more to this whole process than uh, just going by our feelings. And we know that. You didn't need to come here this morning to know that. We've talked about that a lot of times. But, but there, are, there are situations, especially uh, things that are very natural to us, that sometimes can get us into trouble, and we don't know how to recover. We don't know how to pull out of them. And... For example, and this may seem like a strange example, but for example, uh, one of Satan's best uh, tactics against God's people is if he, cannot, uh, if he cannot touch you directly, then he can draw you into something or influence you into something that God does not allow and therefore God would have to deal with or judge or condemn in some way. Uh, Satan is good at 
uh, for instance, you know, presenting things to people uh, in, in our world today because we live in Satan's Eden. Everything foul, everything perverted, everything immoral is within reach. Isn't that right? We live in a world that's, you know, upside down. Not only is there, uh, for instance, the whole idea of sexuality, uh, it, it, it has been uh, redefined in a sense, or we put it this way, the, the boundaries that kept people on a moral, straight moral pathway, those boundaries essentially have been eroded, have been belittled. In some cases, they're even mocked. Where people will say, well, you don't need to abide by that. You don't need to just do what feels good and, and it'll be okay. And we live in a world where we're surrounded by that kind of thinking. And not only do we, are we surrounded by that, but, but it's also become much more available because of technology. That whole immoral world is now very close within reach to all of us because of the technology that we all possess. Right? If you have a, if you have a phone, uh, and I, I, forgive me here, but I brought my phone to charge my pointer so that I'd be able to walk around and click. That's why I have my phone here. This was a last-minute emergency uh, procedure here. But we are never far from this. We're never, we're never far from a connection somehow, and, and therefore we have availability. We have immediate availability, don't we, to that, to that whole world. In, in times past, you had to break through some barriers in order to get into that world. Not now. You had to go a distance to get into that world. Not now. You had to cross over some lines in order to get into that world. Not now. It's, it's made available. And not only is it available, but the, the restraints that kept people pure, a lot of those restraints now are completely done away with. Completely done away with. So it's almost like uh, you're odd if you don't participate in those things. You're odd if you don't, uh, you know, include yourself in all of that. And I say this, that uh, Satan is a master at, at uh, laying a trap so that people fall into a situation that God would have to condemn, even if that's not what's in their heart. But they can be trapped sometimes into those situations. Now, uh, I, I would just have to say this, and this is kind of an odd example, but I just, I just want to try to be sensitive this morning. Uh, the, the strange thing about immorality and sexual issues, the strange thing about that is that it's a very natural and God-given passion that God has put in every person. God made us the way we are, right? Male and female. And there's a natural attraction that's born into the male and female physique. Isn't that right? I, I mean, that's just the way it is. You didn't have to go find that or you didn't go have to learn that. That's just there. There's an attraction to the opposite gender. If you have a problem with drugs, you had to reach out to something that's not natural. If you have an injury, for instance, and you had to be on painkillers, and those painkillers eventually, God forbid, and this happens a lot in our world today, but now they prescribe such powerful and potent painkillers that you can become, you literally can become addicted to something that's not natural for you at all. But you had to cross a barrier. You had to reach out, or necessity uh, made that happen, right? An injury or something else. And now all of a sudden it's a hard road back from a situation like that. But when it comes to an immoral uh, issue, and I'm just trying to be, I want to be sensitive in how I say this today. If, if there is an immoral issue, then that's something that's very natural and normal because God made you and built you that way. You don't have a problem if you have an attraction to the opposite gender. Are we okay? 
You, you don't have a problem. You have a problem the other way, right? But if you, if you have an attraction to the same gender, then, then that's not an abnormal thing. That's the way that God made you. And so, therefore, Satan is good at using those natural things to try to draw people into traps and bringing them into some sort of a situation that he has to condemn. Because they've done it in a way that's it might be in harmony with the world, but it's out of sync with God's word. Now let me let me say this at the outset here: that God designed intimate relations for a certain place, and He designed them. Listen, this is really important here. God, because He said in Hebrews chapter thirteen, He said, "Marriage is honorable; the bed undefiled." That intimate relations between a husband and wife are very normal and appropriate within a covenant. Think about this. This is a great general rule, especially for all you young people. God is not against the feelings that you have. God is not against marriage and all that goes with marriage. It's right and it's appropriate when it's within a covenant. When it's outside the covenant, then it's wrong. Does that make sense? And so that's why, uh, you know, all of the living together and all of the uh, immoral things that go on and all the boyfriend-girlfriend relations now that uh, exist in, you know, between uh, singles and uh, in, in schools and all the other things that go on, uh, it, it, it is indeed, like Brother Branham described it, it is the right act perverted. Why? Because it's happening in the wrong place or outside of a covenant. When you make a covenant with somebody, then you have a right to enjoy all that God has provided between a man and a wife within that covenant. But once you take it outside of the covenant, then now God's got to judge that because that's not the original design. The original design was that God wanted to have this certain uh, conduct between a husband and wife, but within a certain place. And that's why he says fornication and adultery, God will judge. In Hebrews chapter 13, he says it in the same place. God's got to judge that, but he does not judge it over here when it's done within the right covenant. So our world today, our world today is trying to redefine that or trying to rearrange that. That doesn't make it right. That only makes it the way the world's trying to do it. And they'll say, well, it's okay. You know, it's okay to live together or have a trial marriage or uh, it's okay to, uh, you know, practice this or that. It's okay to even, uh, you know, uh, pervert the natural course of, of relations between men and women. And, and the Bible talks about it in Romans chapter 1. This is not, uh, I don't think, strange to any one of you. But, uh, you know, for men and men and women and women, the Bible talks about how we come to that uh, in the last day. And we find that uh, rampant in Sodom. And all of those things are described there that God will have to judge because that's apart from original design. And if it happens outside of a covenant, then that's something that God did not ordain. Are we okay? Boy, you've got to wonder where we're going with this. The problem is, is that there are, there are people who have lived, and even people who are good people, who, who have temptations uh, in this area, and they've made mistakes in this area, and a lot of people would like to know how to recover from these situations and very often never ask. And so today, I want to just wade into this a little bit and just see how far 
uh, we get with it. But let me just come back to this idea of inheritance just for a moment here because this is going to really help us uh, to, to understand how to fight the enemy. Everybody okay? I know I got your attention there this morning by doing that intro. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, the Bible says that he raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set him among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. And he will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. So we, we believe absolutely that God is the one who, uh, he set the earth in motion, he set things in, in, in place a certain way. All of this is very true, all of this is nothing, uh, nothing new to us. We find that uh, also that God will... Uh, in, in, his, in his great decision-making process in Matthew 25, uh, we write here, and this is uh, Jesus talking about the kingdom and what happens after this life. And he says, Then shall the king say unto his right hand, to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We, we believe that the, uh, our, in our traditional thinking of the word inheritance, it is something that we get only after we die. Everybody understand? Mostly that's how we think of inheritances, right? I've seen some really, really strange things happen when it comes to inheritances and even what people think they're going to inherit. Uh, people who think, well, you know, uh, this person promised me this. I, re- I remember uh, when my, uh, I had a favorite aunt who died, or aunt. I guess it depends on where you're from. But she was the same person to me. And uh, she promised me she had a really nice library. Her, uh, her books, very, many of her books were books that were bought by my uncle who traveled. He was single all of his life. He was a guy who was a chef. Uh, he was a, a butler to the Duke of Wellington during uh, the World War, uh, World War II. And uh, he traveled in London a whole lot. And back then, uh, you know, you were able to travel in and out of the country with whatever you could carry and get away with. It wasn't so illegal back then. Now you have to declare everything and they give you a form. Well, my uncle was a kind of a guy, and you can see my family tree has already been partly unveiled, right? Not all of it, but partly. But my uncle would come, and, and in England he would buy these really fancy silk fabrics from, that were imported from India and Pakistan, and, and they, they would sell them really cheap in London. And he would literally take a bolt of fabric, which would have been worth a whole lot of money if he came through with his suitcase, and he would wrap it, take off his outer clothes and wrap himself with the silk. So he looked like he was about 30 pounds heavier than what he was, then put on his clothes and walk through. He'd actually fly over on the plane across the ocean, and he would be really thick, you know, when he got off of the airplane. And when he got home, he'd unravel all the silk and give it to his sisters and uh, uh, you know, they were all delighted. But, uh, I mean, that was just a way of life for my uncle. Many of the books that were in my aunt's library were books that he had brought over from London, which were really good quality books that were written by famous authors and leather-bound. And I mean, they were really classic books. She promised me that library whenever she died. She said, you can have that, Barry, because I loved her books. And I would sit from a wee lad. I would sit on her lap and let her read to me uh, for hours on end. And I just had a real real close bond with her. And she promised me that when, when you die, when I die, sorry, 
When I die, she said, you're going to have all of these books. Well, when I died, when she died, that was right at the point where we were coming into the message of the hour and we were leaving the Catholic Church. And so my uncle, uh, my uncle and, and all of the rest of the relatives in mom's family, they all turned against us in a very harsh way. And it didn't matter what the will said, didn't matter what any instructions were given, there was nothing going to be given to my mother because she had left the Catholic Church and now she was in this, this uh, you know, uh, odd kind of a faith. They didn't understand. They, but they just, they just literally cut her out. Without, without the right to do that, they literally, literally cut her out. And uh, my uncle, uh, he, said, he said to me, you know, when it was all said and done, and I went to him and I said, I'm here to collect the books. And he looked at me and he said, you can have a handful. You can have what you can carry. I thought, really? And he said, yeah. He said, and be thankful that you're going to get those because that's all you're going to get. So I went in and I, I, I picked out some of the classic books uh, that I could find. And I, I was only, I was still quite young, actually, back at that particular point. But I carried as much as I could and uh, got my, my arms loaded. And I still have those books. They're still very precious to me uh, because they came from her. Normally, we think about inheritance as something that happens only when a person dies. But in the Bible, there's a little bit of a, a flip in here. There's a little bit of a, a, a little footnote that we need to understand. The definition literally means this, to receive the portion that's assigned to somebody, to receive an allotted proportion, receive as one's own possession, or to become a partaker of. So in the inheritance that we normally understand, if somebody has allotted a piece of land, for instance, when the father dies, then that son would receive that piece of land. But it also means this, to receive by lot, especially to receive a part of an inheritance, obtained by right of inheritance to be an heir. Now that means that not only are we able to have something allotted to, to our sons and daughters in a will, so that when the testator dies, then they would receive that. But it also means that they're able to receive in the present a portion of this to receive a part of an inheritance, what the definition says, and to obtain it right now. My father-in-law, he, uh, uh, he, he decided, he was told by an insurance person that he was able to take a portion of his insurance policy and, and give it to his grandsons, uh, to, to really, literally see them enjoy it while he's still living. Because ordinarily it would happen when he died, and he would never know that you know they, what they would do with that. So uh, he decided that he wanted to give it. It was not a great deal, but he, he decided to give them a portion so they could have that and enjoy that while he was living. And, and that's, that's kind of a nice thing to do. So we had this idea now of two things. Number one, that there are things that you can be allotted for when the testator dies. But secondly, and according to the Bible, there are things that you can receive in this life now that are additional to what you would receive when that person dies. Now, how many of you believe that when we, when we die, we have a body waiting for us? Do you believe that? I mean, we've got to believe that, right? And, and we, have a, we have a house that, that he's gone to prepare. We have a, we have a place that we're going to live in uh, when we get over on the other side. There's a land across the river. Do you believe that? 
and all of eternity and all that, uh, all that God has prepared for his people, it will be a portion of our inheritance when we cross over on the other side. And, and that's obvious. But you know what? You don't have to die and you don't have to wait till the end of the world before you begin to enjoy the inheritance of the Lord. I'm telling you here this morning that a portion of that is available for you today. And if that inheritance that is waiting for us is apportioned for eternity and for here, then my goodness, this which we should enjoy is equally as good as what we get over there. I mean, it comes from the same one, right? Oh, now, all right, here's Brother Branham now in adoption. He says now, and he's going down through Ephesians chapter 1, and he says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. Oh, an inheritance, and he stops here. He says, somebody has to leave you something to inherit it, an inheritance. And what, in, what inheritance do we have? God left me an inheritance when he put my name on the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. Well, glory, hallelujah. Your, your allotment was made even before you lived. Your, your name on the will, your, your portion was even determined before you were standing here in a body. Before the earth was made, God actually included you in his will. That's exciting because now, now what's in the will is not given out based on your, your attitude or your conduct or anything else. It's already in the will. All right. Now, if that's true, Brother Bram says, oh, you say, now, wait a minute, Jesus did that when he died for you. No, he never. He came to purchase that inheritance for me. Remember, Adam lost it, and Jesus purchased it back, right? It was always yours, but you couldn't, you couldn't access it under the law. And in the Old Testament, you couldn't access it. But when, listen now, when Jesus purchased it, now it came back in the hands of the testator, and now, now you have an access to something that you never had access to before. And let's say it this way, in your sinful nature when you were born on the earth, you never had access to the power of God. You never had access to uh, the grace of God like you do now. You never had access to forgiveness back then like you do now. You never had access to the things of God back then like you do now. And that's, a, that's, a, that's partly because that Jesus has paid the price. And if he's paid the price, there are certain things now that you have access to that you don't have to wait until you die, but you have access to them now. How many can say amen? He said, read the next line. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. All right, stay with me now. We just lay, I only have a few screens here, so just stay with me here. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 18, Jesus illustrates this, and he says, The things which are impossible with men are impossible with God. And Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, parents, brethren, wife, children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this time and in the world to come, life everlasting. You see what he's saying? There's something in the world to come, but there's something here now. 
There are, there are benefits of, of being a child of God and leaving this world and inheriting all things over there. That's a wonderful thing. But he's saying, don't just think of it as being over there. Nothing good happens until I get over there. I believe that there are things over here that God has bestowed upon us, that God has allowed us to participate in, that God has allowed us to be able to be partakers of in this world, in this life, before we die and get over on the other side. I think that's exciting. I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Now, if that's the case, watch again what Paul writes. And here's the scripture that Brother Branham was referring to, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, and in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Now, let's just, I want you to think about it this way, that right now is when we are working out God's will in our lives, right? Right now is when we're actually walking in God's will. We're striving to find God's will. We want to know what God's will is. And we have obtained an inheritance because we are predestinated uh, according to him and the purpose that he has for us on this life, in this life that we can, we can benefit from the fact that we are walking in God's will, and because we are an inheritor of all things, then there are certain benefits that we can, uh, we can enjoy on this side of, of eternity, because on that side of eternity, we really will have uh, you know, no struggle over there to do God's will. We'll have no struggle over there to fulfill God's purpose. It's over here where we struggle. It's over here where we have to deal with temptations and trials, right? It's over here when we're tempted not to do God's will. It's over here on this side where we have the, uh, you know, the internal turmoil and the struggles and the mental battles that we have and, and the regret that we have. How many of you have ever done anything, even after you became a Christian, that you regretted? And you feel like, oh, my goodness, I wish I had never done that. I wish I had never committed to that. And I wish I had never said that. And I wish I had never, uh, you know, made, made this commitment to do something. I, I was talking to a, a friend of ours who's a repairman in our town this week. And uh, he, he said that he was, he's a, an appliance repair guy. And, you know, if you have a good appliance repair guy, huh, let me tell you, you ought to pay him well because they're, they're pretty valuable. I don't know how you feel about it, but they're pretty valuable to have, a good, good guy who can fix anything. And, and you know, these guys, he, he came into our house, and he has about as many tools as this in his hand. That's all he has. And he comes in, and he just, he, he said, what's wrong? And I told him what's wrong, and he, and he just, he said, let me turn it on, if you don't mind. Let me just turn this on. And he just turns it on for a second, listens to it, and he says, all right. He says, I'll be back. I said, what, you need more tools? He said, no, I know what's wrong with it. He said, there's a valve that's gone, a valve that's broken. It should kick in. There should be a certain sound. should be a certain flow of water in your washer machine. It should be something like that. And I, Whoa, that's pretty good. I wish I could diagnose problems as fast as that, you know, my job. And uh, so he was, uh, you know, he's just, he's just a, he's got a black belt and that kind of stuff. So I was chatting with him, and he said, you know, I, I, I'm not working now full time. And I, oh, I said, you're retired. He said, no. He said, I, I got uh, back problems. And uh, I said, oh, that's too bad. I said, sorry to hear that, because he's, he's younger than me. And uh, he said, yeah. He said, my grandfather owned a piano store. Uh, when we were growing up, he said, that's problem number one. 
He said, because we had to lift all the pianos when we were young fellows. You know, good, strong backs. Now, I need some help after church uh, from you guys, and you're gonna, some of you guys are going to be asked, so don't, don't mind the story, okay? You guys just forget this story. But he said, it, it got so bad, now he said, I was lifting washing machines and dryers, and, and he works by himself. So he said that was difficult, and, and as a result of that, he said, it just got worse and worse over the years, and I wound up having a surgery. And he said the surgery kind of fixed some things, but it didn't fix some other things. And the doctor said, you know, this will hold you for a while. And then he said, I went to get uh, the second surgery because things were getting really bad. And he said, uh, I, you know, I had, had the doctor advise me and went to a different one. And, and they told me this is what you're going to need to do. And he said, but yet my heart, he said, I knew it was not the right thing. It was just not the right thing. He said, I, I knew, he said, have you ever had the inner, here's what he asked me. He said, have you ever had that inner man, that inner voice speak to you and tell you not to do something and you went ahead and did it anyway? This is what he was asking me. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I, I, I went, he said, I was laying on the bed. We're getting ready to go down to the meat storage locker. You know, in the hospital when they wheel you down. I hope you've never had to go through this. But if you ever go down, it seems like that's where they slaughter hogs, you know, down in that cold area down there. And, uh, and, and, and when, when he was down there, he said, I was laying on the bed, and he said, I knew. He said, this voice on the inside of me, just let me know, this is not the right surgery to have. This is not, you shouldn't be doing this. And he said, and I didn't stop, and I didn't object. Everybody figured this was the right thing. The doctors figured it was right. My wife thought it was the right thing. Everybody thought it was the right thing uh, because I was in pain. But he said, something on the inside was, was hollering at me not to do this. And he said, I went ahead and did it anyway. And as a result, he said, they did not fix the problem. Now he says, I have a whole new set of pains. And he said, they're not able to be fixed now. He said, they're telling me they're not able to be fixed. And he said, unless a miracle occurred, he said, they're not able to be fixed at all. And I said uh, to him, I said, well, you know, how do you, how do you function? He says, well, I take medication. And he said, medication helps to dull the pain and allows me to function and so on. And he said, that's all I can do. He said, so I'm only working a minimal amount of time now uh, in order to get some things done for family and friends and people like you. He said, that's, that's the only people I come and visit. And I, as he was leaving and going out the door, I said, Larry, I said, you know what? I said, I believe that we still serve a God of miracles. And I said, I believe that miracles still happen. And he looked at me and he said, do you believe that really? And I said, absolutely, I believe that. And I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said, I would love that. He said, I'd really appreciate it if you would. And, and so I, I promised him that we would pray for him and, and uh, you know, hold his name up before the Lord because he's in a situation now where he regrets having done something but did it anyway. And so now he has the mental struggle. Now he has that, you know, what if I had, what if I had done that? And now there, there's other situations, and I know, realize in a, in a crowd like this, there are other situations that we could think about that maybe, you know, there are decisions or maybe uh, areas where Satan attacks, even in those natural areas where Satan attacks, and you, you, you probably have one feeling about it all, and that is you regret you went there. You regret that, you know, that you made that, that step and something in you may have even been warning and not to do that but but made that step anyway i don't know who i ministered to in this morning but i want you to just stay with me here i'm I'm, i want you to i want you to be assured that i do not believe that we are alone in this world whenever we go through situations like this watch what peter writes simon peter a servant of apostle an apostle of jesus christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of god 
and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's us, right? That's us. Everybody with me? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as, watch, as his divine power has given unto us, past tense, it already, he already has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, given unto us now, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then besides this, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and all of that. Peter is saying that God has given you things that he wants you to use in this life. He's given you things that he wants you to take out and apply and use in your life every day because you're going to need it to battle all of the lusts and all of the trials and all of the uh, temptations that come in this life. You're going to need them, so God's given them for you now. You're better off taking those tools out and using them because that's your defense. That's your defense. Now, take your Bible. I've got the, the opening scripture here, but I want, here's where I want you to take your Bible, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I love this. I love this passage here. I love it for a number of reasons, but I want you to follow with me here if you have your Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Paul begins at verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the righteous, unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The, the context of this portion that we're going to read here is a sexual teaching. It's a, te- a teaching about immorality. Go drop down to verse 18. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And this is where Paul is coming to, but I want you to watch how he deals with it with the Corinthian people. Now remember the Corinthian people were very athletic. Uh, they were very caught up in their physique. They were people who were you know, very attractive in a muscular way, and they showed that off. That was a culture. That was the way they lived. Watch what he writes now. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. None of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's certainly true. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, and ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And all the forgiven said, amen. Because that's where some of us are. Now, listen, you may feel that way. You may feel, uh, have any of these feelings of these, of these situations right here. Uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with memory. But that's not who we are. Even, even if we have made mistakes, that's not who we are. That's not where we are. That might have been where we were. And, and the problem is, is that we have something that God does not have, and that is a memory of things that happened in the past. Right? 
Isn't it true that he's forgotten? He's separated himself from your sins. Those are gone. And so therefore, if they're under the blood, he doesn't see them anymore. He doesn't remember them at all. But we have the memory of those things. So we can actually feel that feeling. And when you read down through verses like this, you can actually feel that feeling of this whole uh, situation here. But Paul is telling us that's what some of you were. But he says, rather now we are washed and sanctified and justified. So we stand as though we never did it in the first place. All things, he said, are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient, and all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Anything that arrests you in your spiritual walk with Christ, anything that takes your spiritual life hostage is illegal in the eyes of God. Anything that takes, takes power over you in a sensual way, anything that, uh, even though you're allowed to do it, even though lawfully I can do it, I can go out and buy a pack of cigarettes or I can go out and buy, uh, you know, alcohol, or I'm, I'm lawfully able to do that. It is not expedient for me. It's not profitable for me to do that. And Paul's determination is, is that even though I have passions and even though I have impulses and even though I'm a male, I'm not going to allow those feelings and those passions to rule me. I'm going to let the Christ in me rule them. And this is his point. Remember now who he's talking uh, to the Corinthian church here. Uh, this, is, this was their mindset. This was their thinking. And Paul is making a categorical statement to them. Your thinking is wrong. He illustrates this best in verse 13. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats but God shall destroy both it and them. Their philosophy about life was, is that if you have a growling in your stomach, there is something, there is only one thing that is ordained to satisfy or stop the growling. You know what that is? It's food. And therefore, your belly is for food, and food is for your belly. And you put those two things together, and the need is met. That was their philosophy. Paul is taking that philosophy and he's applying it in this context and he's saying just because you have a a desire doesn't mean that you can take what would satisfy that desire and put it together and satisfy that. It's still got to be within a covenant. When it comes to natural food, that's all right. Because, you know, that's, that's something that uh, it, it has no consequences in a, in a long-term sense. But now watch what, he, let's, let's look at how he defines this. He says, but now the body is not for fornication, but the Lord for the, and the Lord for the body. So the problem is, is that for the Corinthian people, they didn't realize that your body is actually purchased. It was purchased in the package where Jesus died on the cross. And he purchased you. And God does not want to have that body now that he purchased used for the wrong thing. He actually wants to wear it himself and display himself to this world in a godly way, not an ungodly way. That's what he actually wants to do. Now, I, I, uh, I'm, on, I'm on my way to Africa in a, a, week, or, a week or a half or so. I'm going to go for a short trip. But when I go there, uh, I usually take a bunch of shirts and things that I'm going to uh, give gift to them over there, and I'll take them and I'll I'll bring them to the cleaners, and I'll uh, they 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 do a great job at uh, taking you know making them look like new. Uh, they they're they're really good at that, and I bring them to the cleaners because they're soiled, 
And when I, when I come back and when I bring them over to overseas and I'll, I'll wear them and I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll give them away uh, over there, uh, then I, I, I'll, I'll look a certain way. Because, you know, you, you naturally want to look your best when you go uh, to minister to somebody. And so the dry cleaner is, you know, their, their whole purpose is bring me the soil stuff. Bring me the dirty stuff. Bring me the bad stuff. And I'll return something that looks a whole lot better. The idea here that, that Paul is conveying here is that your body, your body, where you came from, and you came from these verses of 9 and 10 here, the drunkards and the defilers and the effeminate and all of that. He says, you can bring me that. And God's got a, how many know that God's got a dry cleaning system where you can bring everything, all the negative things, you can bring it to him and watch what he does with it. And he gives it back in a form that he's not ashamed to dress up in and walk around and show himself alive in my life. He's not ashamed to put me, he's not ashamed to indwell this tabernacle right here and take out all the flaws and the, and the soil and the filth and everything else in the spots. He's not ashamed, he doesn't back off from taking all that away and step inside of that outfit and be able to display himself to a dying world and say, this is what a Christian who's gone through sanctification looks like. This is what a believer looks like uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a very dirty world. God's able to take even the worst among us and the claim us in such a way that now we can stand as a temple of the living God. I mean, that's what Paul is saying to the people here. You were involved in all of that, but he said, watch God take that away in your life because your body is not for you to just satisfy the natural carnal needs for continually, but he says, your body is actually a temple of the Holy Ghost. And God has both raised up the Lord and has also raised us up by his power and know ye that your bodies are the members of Christ and shall I then take the members of Christ and, t- and make them the members of an harlot God forbid what's Paul saying he's saying that if God was able to take Jesus out of the grave then God is also able to take you out of the bed of your immorality listen to me if God is able to take Jesus out of the grave then I believe that God is also able to raise you out of addiction If God is able to raise Jesus from the grave, isn't he still the God of the resurrection? Isn't he still the God uh, who is able to deliver us and bring us? He even even brought Jesus from death. And listen to this, that upon Jesus' shoulders, God laid the entire sin of the world and allowed him to go through the death uh, of somebody, uh, of, of a criminal, to be able to, to, to have died on the cross in such a cruel and a horrible way. And that's what Jesus did. And if, let me tell you, if, let me, or let me say it this way. I'm, I'm just, I'm, my, my mind is going too fast here. But just let me say it this way. If God knew that, the, that his word and the power of the resurrection was more powerful than what Jesus went through and was able to allow him to go down into the valley of that death, that particular death, and bring him back and have him stand on the earth again alive, even more alive than what he was when he went down into the grave, and have him stand there victorious over death and having conquered sin and the grave, then don't think your problem that you bring to God is too great for him. You shouldn't think that the fact that you don't have enough money to make a car payment is too big of a problem for God. If God can handle that, God can handle what you bring to him. 
If God can handle that, God can handle your, uh, your dilemma that's going on in your mind. If God can handle that, let me tell you, God can handle you having to struggle with your past. If God can, can, can do that in, in, the, in, in the life of Jesus, if God can actually fulfill that and perform that according to his plan, then there's nothing too big that you can bring to God that God can't deal with. He's not overwhelmed by anything you bring to him. How many can say amen? A lot of times you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to live with this until I die. It's going to be gone. When I die, I'll step into a new body over there. I'm saying to you today that I believe that God has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness that we might be able to learn to overcome and to be able to walk out of and rise from the bondage that Satan will try to drag us into in this life. Not waiting to get over there, but to rise up out of this life. And it's not just because you come to church. It's not because you're, uh, you know, you're knowledgeable about the scripture or whatever else. It's because it's Christ in you that makes a difference. It's not my ministry or another ministry. You watch people that will go from church to church and they struggle and they, you know, they wrestle with things and they complain and they'll move on to another church. Let me tell you, it's not the church building. It's a lack of something that they have in their life. It's a lack of something that they, they really need in their life. But you watch the people that really get a hold of something. They really get a hold of God. And they're on fire for God. And they're passionate for God. As we read in our opening text there. And Paul said that you would not be slothful about this. But you would be uh, fervent in spirit. And, and you watch somebody who, who gets a hold of God like that. And begins to apply and realizes that God has actually imparted unto me a portion of my inheritance here. That I'm able to act as a son of God, and fight the enemy as a son of God, and to be able to look problems in the face as a son of God or a daughter of God, and not be dragged down by any of these things that, that draw you down even naturally in life. And again, now remember, he's talking about the, uh, the Corinthian people here. Verse 16, he said, What, know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For the two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Therefore, flee fornication. You can walk away from a meal, and eventually the meal is gone. You can't walk away from sexual immorality and be the same ever again. Those things stay with you. Those things last. Those things mark a person. So therefore, he's telling us, join yourself to the right thing, not to the wrong thing. And the right thing at this particular point is to join to the Lord. But when you're married, it's perfectly appropriate and good to join yourself with a wife. But any other joining outside of a covenant is not right. Are we okay? That's why I've said for years. That's why Paul writes in the next chapter here. He says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Because... When, when we begin that process of touching each other as a boy and a girl, then something begins to happen that, if you're not careful, can lead to something that God has to condemn because there's no covenant. Therefore, he says, let every man have his own wife, right? Let every woman have her own husband. Because if there's going to be touching, or if there's going to be intimacy, or if there's going to be connection in a physical way, it's got to be within the covenant, or it's not blessed by God. You don't want to be doing things that are not blessed by God. You don't want to be doing things that God does not approve of. You don't want to be doing things that God does not breathe upon and bless. You don't want to be doing things that you've got to do in secret because you're ashamed to let anybody else see it. Because inherently, you know what's wrong. 
We don't want to be doing that. And so therefore, Paul is telling us, uh, you know, he says, you, when you join uh, to an harlot, when you join to the wrong, and he's using this, this language here, and sorry for using the language, but it's Bible language here. But I, I hope you understand that whether these days, whether it's a connection or whether it's a physical connection, it's a connection. And there's something of you that is affected by that for a long time. And you don't want to join to that thing. The best offense here is a, is a good defense. You don't, want to, you don't want to go there and then try to get back un, unscathed. You understand what I'm saying? You don't want to get in there and then try to repair that. What you want to do is stay out. What you want to do is stay away from any kind of a, uh, you know, a, a physical activity with somebody of the other gender uh, that is not appropriate. It's not, it's not ordained to, to ha- happen yet until they're married. And in marriage, it's perfectly okay. But outside of, mar- outside of the covenant, and again, the important thing is the covenant because that's what God established. And when a young, when a young couple get married uh, at the altar, they're, they're partaking in a covenant. They are initiating a covenant. And that covenant allows certain things. That covenant establishes a new kind of relationship. And once they enter into that, then they can partake of certain things that they're not allowed to take up outside of the covenant. And that's why all the rules are there governing courtship and governing dating and governing relations with uh, boys and girls. All of it is there because God regards only one thing. And that is, is this happening within the covenant or not within the covenant? And that's how I'm going to have to deal with this. Am I making sense this morning? So he goes on and he says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So the answer is not to stick around and reason with it. The, 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 response, the right response is to flee from it. To distance yourself from it. Like Joseph did when he ran away from Potiphar's wife. And what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Somebody say amen. We're bought with a price. So therefore, there are things about you that are not yours at all. How you handle your temple, how you handle your body, how you handle, and your eyes are a part of your body, right? And your hands are a part of your body, and your ears are a part of your body. And all, how you handle all of that is a reflection of how you respect the temple of God. Because God wants to visit you. God wants to dwell in you. God wants to uh, walk in you. God wants to display himself in you. All of that is something that God wants to do. And Paul is saying that you cannot take the body into church on Sunday and try to pretend that it's a temple here just for that and then go out and live another way over here and, you know, meats for the belly, belly for the meats and have at it and then come back into church another way. You don't have the authority over that temple. God does. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Go to Romans chapter 8 with me for a moment here, if you will. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We all know by heart, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are called according to his purpose. And whom he did foreknow, he predestinated, and so forth, all the way down through. And what shall we say, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In other words, if we take a vote, 
if there's any votes being taken, the only people eligible to vote in this whole scenario, in your life, the only person able to vote is Christ. He's the only one that gets a vote. Whether you're going to make it or whether you're not going to make it, there is only one vote. When you surrender your life to Christ, come on, folks, when you surrender your life to him, now you're his. Now he gets to decide, right? I bought the property we live on up in Virginia. I bought that. So now it would be illogical for the guy who sold us the property to come and start making decisions about my property, right? If, if he comes down and says, I just need to take a corner of your field because my son-in-law needs a hunting cabin. So I'm just going to take a, a third of an acre here, and I'm just going to mark that off and put a hunting cabin on it. I'd say, like, do you know John Harwell? Really? Do you? I mean, this is mine. This is not yours. So in other words, there's only one person really that can exhibit. There's only one person that can uh, effect any kind of control or decision over their own thing, and that's God. So if God before us, who can be against us? If there's only one person voting, if there's only one person uh, you know, deciding here, then, hey, we're in good shape if you're a child of God. I don't belong to Satan. I don't know, I don't know if any of you do, but I, I don't belong to Satan. He doesn't, have con- he doesn't have the control or the right over me, over my life. If you're a Christian, Satan does not have control over your life, but Jesus Christ does. And therefore, if God before us, and if he's the one who's voting, hey, you're going to come out okay if, you're, if you've surrendered your life to him. And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not uh, with him also freely give unto us all things? And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that suffereth. He that spared not his own son, he laid it on his own son. He laid all of the guilt of the world. He laid all the guilt of your sins on the shoulders of his own son. Then we should not in turn be hesitant to come back and offer to God the needs that we have and the problems that we have. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That he that, he he didn't spare him, but he delivered him up for us all. Then therefore, how shall we not also freely, how shall he not freely give us all things? If if God gave him the power, if the power was invested to Jesus to go through that kind of a death and then rise from the grave, then why should we not, why should we be hesitant about waiting in the battle against our enemy that we have? And the enemy can be right here in your own mind or the enemy can be, uh, you know, something that you wrestle with or whatever else. Why should we be afraid to do that if God gave Jesus the power to be able to wrestle his way out of the grave after having all of the sin and the abominations of the world laid on his shoulder and he was victorious over that? Why should you hesitate in terms of dealing with your enemy and your adversary knowing that that same life that was in him is now in us? That's exactly what Paul is writing. And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God and maketh intercession for us. All of these things are true and they are possible for him. And therefore he begins to ask the questions then, who shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ? All of this is predicated on the fact that a person needs to be where he should be with God. And once he is, once he is totally surrendered to him, uh, let me tell you, there, there, is, there, is, there are 
things that God has given to us. There is grace that God gives to us. There is strength that God gives to us. There is discernment that God gives to us. There is insight that God gives to us. There is an understanding that God gives to us that the world knows nothing about. You ever been in a situation where, um, you know, you might, you might have been hanging around in the kitchen and uh, you, you didn't know, but your wife has something cooking in the oven and she comes in and says, wow, doesn't that smell good? And, and you, oh yeah, it does. Now you were in there all the time, but you never noticed it until someone highlighted that to you. Somebody pointed that out. You ever had that happen to you? Nobody has. All right, let me tell you how it works. Let's say you're in the kitchen and your wife is cooking something and you don't know, but you're in there and, you know, everything smells okay. But then somebody comes in and says, wow, smell that gingerbread cooking. Wow, that's really great. And you realize, oh, wow, yeah, it is gingerbread. It really smells good. Not that you're lying. I mean, you were in there all the time when it was there. But because someone highlights it, now it becomes elevated in your, in your senses, right? I will tell you something that when... <laughs> When Brother Branham came along, Brother Branham didn't preach anything outside of the Bible. He didn't make up serpent seed. He didn't make up some story that was not scriptural. But you know what he did? He came along with all of us carrying a King James Bible to church, and he comes along, and this is what should be happening in your life when you come to church. It should be happening when you carry your Bible, and, uh, you know, we read it. But God gives certain gifts to the body to raise our awareness of things and to elevate our spiritual senses to things so that we can understand things even in a greater way. Brother Branham came along and said, well, let me tell you what happened in the Garden of Eden. You're like, wow, yeah, that's right. You know what? I was reading the same Bible he's been reading all the time. But now he's given me an awareness of things that's greater. And it's always been there. But now we've been given a greater awareness. You know where that comes from? That doesn't come from hell. That doesn't come from the devil. That comes from God. And I believe that, that over, uh, over our time, ever since, you know, we came into Christ and over our time since Brother Branham left here, I believe that's what God's been doing through the fivefold ministry is to give the bride of Christ a continuing heightened awareness of the Scripture and the power of the Scripture. It's always been there. It's been there ever since those tapes were made. It's been there ever since Paul preached it way back in the early ages there. It's been there, but all of a sudden there's a heightened awareness of this. And you realize, wow, you know, here comes Brother Branham. And, you know, we read, everyone's read Paul's epistles back there. And all of a sudden Brother Branham comes along and he says, hey, he says, Paul came along and said that Jehovah, Jesus, Jehovah of the old is Jesus of the new. (laughs) Wow, never saw it that way, never knew it that way. And you have a heightened awareness of what it's all about. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you don't need to die and go to heaven to be victorious over anything. I believe that right here in this body, in the midst of your struggle, you can be victorious over the things that plague you and trouble you and hassle you and the memories you have and the past you have. I believe that God's given us tools to fight. I believe he's given us a spirit of forgiveness. 
Because there are some things we just need to forgive and let go and cut off and divorce from and just let go so that they don't, we don't drag them around anymore. There are things that we, we should, for our own spiritual sake, we should forgive and let go. And you know what? We're not going to change things. We're not going to be able to alter things. We're just going to let them go and we're going to walk on. That might be their problem. That might be something that they have to deal with. But I'm not going to drag that around. I'm not going to drag around guilt. That's not mine. My own guilt is heavy enough. I'm not going to drag around somebody else's guilt. And so I'm going to let things go. And we have a process. God's given us a process of repentance to come and, and uh, ask God to forgive us. And, and, Lord, take that away. That's not, that's not who I am. That's not what I want to be. And, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me for that. And to be able to leave that and walk on. Hey, if we believe in the blood of Christ, if we believe in the process of forgiveness, it's gone. Say it with me. It's gone. When you give it to God, it's gone. When you put it under the blood, it's gone. You don't have to drag it around. You don't have to revive it all the time. You don't have to agree with what Satan will bring up about your past. It's gone. When it's gone in the eyes of God, it's gone. And a pardon from God is a pardon from guilt, as we've said to you. And so, therefore, if that's true, we don't have to die to wait until we become victorious over things. I believe that God has given us, I believe he's given us, a true spirit of repentance to leave those things behind. Watch what repentance means here. It means to, this is the the definition I pulled together. It means to revise one's actions according to the mind of God. You revise your actions according to the mind of God and feeling contrition and regret for the past wrongs. When we begin to revise our actions according to the mind of God, you know what that is? That's repentance. I did it this way all my life. But then I realized, you know what? That's not, that's not God's way. Then I'm going to do it this way. We're going to go the other way. And we begin to revise. We're not just become aware that that way is wrong, but we actually walk in the other direction. We're not just looking at that and say, oh, wow, I learned something about the way I'm walking. But when we turn around and walk the other way, then you're actually in the process of repenting. Does that make sense? And feeling contrition and regret for the past wrongs, which is accompanied by a commitment and actual actions that show and prove a change for the better. So you can't repent and live the same lifestyle. You can't repent and just go on and live in the same sin. You can't repent and not change. Repentance requires change. And responding to God's love by being transformed in your convictions and actions. You're responding to God's love. Isn't it the grace of God that brings us to repentance? Isn't it the love of God that brings us to repentance? It's, 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 It's God reaching out to a person that brings them to repentance. It's God's interest in that person that brings them to repentance. And it means turning towards God and away from whatever dishonors him. Lord, help me repent. Hey, I've repented a long time ago, December 23rd, 1979. I repented for the first time, really, from my heart. But since then, I've repented a lot of times over this because I turn away from whatever dishonors him. Whatever Satan will try to bring into my life, whatever way he tries to infiltrate in my life, I want to turn away from anything that dishonors God. Absolutely. So Paul writes in Acts 26, he said, his commission was to open their eyes, uh, the, the eyes of the Gentiles, and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith, which is in me. Paul says, that's my commission. He says, to bring light, 
and turn Gentiles from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, because that's how your life was controlled before by Satan, that they may receive, number one, forgiveness of sins, and number two, inheritance. Not everything, because you haven't received a new body yet. You haven't received your eternal mansion yet, right? You haven't received glory in the new heavens and new earth. You haven't received that yet. We don't receive all of our inheritance, but there's a portion of your inheritance that's allotted to you here because you are a son of God. And because you are, uh, because you are a child of God, there are certain things that are available to you now that God wants you to use in order to overcome the things that we have to deal with. An inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. If you look at this definition here of the inheritance down here, and we don't need to read it all, but back in, the, back in the day, you remember when Jonah was on the boat and they were trying to figure out who needed to be thrown off this boat in order for us to survive. Remember that story? And you know what they did? They cast lots. And, and casting lots meant everybody back in that day, everybody had like, we, we have certain IDs now that we carry with us, right? Your driver's license, your concealed carry permit. Everyone's got one of those, right? you have certain IDs that you carry with you. Back then, they had an object. It might have been a bit of bone or a little bit of wood or stone or something, and they would put their initials on it or carve something on it, and that would be their lot. So when Jonah was on the boat with all the other people, everybody pitched their lot in. Everybody put their lot in. And Jonah's was in there too. So when they threw the lots out, the one that stood out was Jonah's. And that is, that is in, the, in the Bible language here, uh, that is somebody who is elected because their lot was cast or they were, they were chosen based on the role of the, of the, the lots that were, were sent out there. But I want you to look at the second part. The second part is what is obtained by an allotted portion. We have been elected. How many believe we have been elected? Not because someone rolled a dice and you made it in. You didn't just decide this church or that church. There's one up the road here, right? This church or that church. This church or that church. This church, or, this church right here. That's not how you got here, right? That's not how you wandered in here. It's because you made a, you know, rock, paper. I never figured out rock, paper, scissors. I have no idea what it actually means. I just see people do that every now and then. And my grandkids will do it. And I have no idea what it means. But anyway... That's not how you got here. You didn't roll the dice and figure out, okay, I like Hickory Bible Tabernacle. I like HBT. That's short. I like that church, so I'm going to go there. That's not how you got here. You got here because of election. God elected you from before the foundation of the world, right? Now, the second part of this, this phrase that Paul uses here, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among the saints, means what is obtained as a result of your election. What is obtained because God chose you it means a portion of the ministry say for example given to the apostles it is a use of the part which one will have an eternal salvation an eternal salvation which god has assigned to the saints a persons whose care and oversight have been assigned in other words the first part here deals with the fact that you're chosen the second part deals with what you actually obtain and you know what if i have a if I have a eternal life, if God decided before the foundation of the world and I have eternal life, then I can face a lot of things without fear of stopping. I can face a lot of things without fear of dying. Wouldn't that be true? 
if I have eternal life. Now, none of us want to go down to the grave. I mean, none of us want to go that way, uh, you know, and have to physically die. That, that's not something that is, is a natural thing to us. But you know what? If I did, if I did, the reality deep down inside of every Christian is that, hey, but you know what? At the end of the day, I got eternal life, and therefore there is no end of day. There is no end of day. There is no ceasing of who I am. There is no stopping of who I am. And if I'm a child of God, then I believe somehow in his providence, he watches over me. He guides me. And the mistakes I make and the hard things that I learned in life really are because God's trying to teach me lessons. That's really what he's trying to do. It's not because he doesn't love me. He's already committed to me long before I even got here. But because I'm a child of God, he watches over me. And we learn things. We learn things by, uh, like Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. We learn things by the things we suffer. We learn things by the experiences that we have in life. But at the end of the day, I have eternal life. And if God has allotted, remember now, it's the fact that you're chosen, number one. But, but what you gain by being chosen of God ought to make you feel really special. It ought to cause you to chase away the fears you might have about the future or whether you're going to make it or whether God's approving of you. Hey, that lot's been cast a long time ago, right, in the, in the vernacular here. That, that decision's already been made. That choice has already been completed. It's now us partaking of what God has allotted for us because we are the children of God. It doesn't, it's not something that's learned. It's something that you're, you're, you're made aware of. It's already there. Like the cookies were in the oven uh, all the time, and you were standing in the kitchen, but you never realized it. But when your senses were made aware of that, ah, that's what that is, then all of a sudden now every, this takes on a new meaning. Now I know what it is that's going on around me. In the same way, if we have eternal life, <clears throat> and God is not a million miles off, but he watches over us. And he's interested about what I'm going through. He's interested in the hurts I feel. He's interested in the sicknesses that I have. He's interested in helping you make it even more than you're interested in making it. And we should not despair. We should, we should feel pretty good, pretty confident about going forward. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, when it comes to Thanksgiving, and it comes to this coming Thursday, the world is quickly and, and ardently trying to redefine Thanksgiving, I mean in a secular way, and made it a shopping thing and made it a turkey thing and all the other descriptions that they have of it. But there's something very sacred about giving thanks to God. When you give thanks to God, it means that you're acknowledging what he really is and what he's really done. And to me, to me, Thanksgiving should be a special time, a sacred time for all of us. And, and, and it is nice to have family, and it is nice to have food and all the other trappings of Thanksgiving Day. But, you know, the, the, the meaning of it, the essence of it, is that those, when those settlers, uh, you know, survived in, through the difficult times, they realized their thanks belonged to God first. I mean, they, they were thankful for each other and the community that they had. And they were thankful for the Indians who shared uh, in their survival and, and all their uh, advice and all, of, all the things that they supplied. Thankful for all of that. Yes, we sure are. But you know what? I believe that all of that happened because of God. 
God allows things like that to happen in my life because he loves me. And he had a purpose for this nation, right? I don't think it hurts to tell that story. I think that's a true narrative. And I think that's what we should tell. I think that's what we should share. We shouldn't be ashamed to tell that story. But you know what? We even have a greater story than that to tell. Because we should be a people who are most thankful for what God's given to us. That out of Laodicea, dark, filthy, cold Laodicea, out of that, out of that, God drew you. God cast a lot from before the foundation of the world and put you all the way down here in the corner of Laodicea and has supplied many things for us. I think we should be thankful for that. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians just come up. God has assigned things to people that he has chosen whether it's a ministry like the apostles or whether it's some sort of a function in the church or a gift that he's given, whatever else, God's done that, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but God's done that because you're elected. You're one of his. You're a part of him. And in doing that, in doing that, I think we should capitalize on the resources that God's given to us. I think we should capitalize on the, uh, on the blessings that God has given because he has bestowed great things upon us and he's done it just because you're elected, just because you're one of his. I think he's good. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. Let's sing that this morning here. Let's just worship him together. Amazing grace shall always be my song of was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why.
chorus again now. So cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. There's only 
touch Him. Best believe when you call on His name. Again now, touching Jesus is all that really matters. And your life will never be the same. For there's only one way to touch Him. That's believe I don't know if there's anybody this morning may need a, just would like to have prayer. Somebody would like to come. Be glad to pray with you this morning, knowing that God cares about what you're going through. Hey, knowing what he put Jesus through on the cross, knowing what Jesus submitted himself to on the cross, there's nothing that's too great for anybody here. Nothing too, nothing that, that's going to overwhelm God. I believe that that is true. Let's sing that little chorus, Only to Be What He Wants Me to Be, this morning. Only to be what He wants me to be Every moment of every day Yielded us alone every step of this pilgrim way and just to be clay in the potter's hand ready to do time, you don't mind. Only to be what He wants me to be. Every moment of every day yielded completely Jesus alone, every step of this pilgrim way, and just to be clay in the potter's hand, ready. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, at the end of our gathering here today, Lord, and just asking, Lord Jesus, that you would just do the part that I cannot do. And that is, Lord, to take the word of God and take the reality of the truth you've given to us. And, Lord, may it just embed it in every heart. May, Lord, it just be like, may it fall like seeds, Lord, in every heart. Father, may we just open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to the, to the fact that there are things, Lord, that are according to your will, that, Lord, can be done on this earth just like they are done in, in the Father's kingdom. And, Lord, we should be a people who are unafraid to face the enemy, to tackle the tough issues, Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to dig deep in our lives. That, Lord, there's nothing that is too great for you, Lord. There's nothing that is too overwhelming for you. But, Father, our lives are open before you, and we want to walk in a way that's victorious, Lord. And you have predestinated us. You have given us, Lord, an inheritance. And we enjoy, as sons and daughters of God, we enjoy a portion of that inheritance even while we are here, Lord. Because you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. If it was not possible, Lord, we could never live that way. If it was not available, Lord, we could never live that way. But because it is available and we can draw from those wells of salvation, Lord, you have blessed us, Lord, to be able to live in a, in a world such as this. But, Father, you have just freely bestowed things upon us that are within reach. Lord, I thank you for that. And I ask, oh God, that you would just instill that in every heart and every soul. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. I pray that you would bless this week for each of our families, Lord, and may their thanksgiving be special. Lord, may it be precious. May it be a time, Lord, of just reflecting on your goodness to us and where you have brought us. God, we thank you that you have made a way, Lord, for us to be able to even understand what thanksgiving really is. And, Lord, we just commit the people now into your hands, Lord. We think of those that are sick, and, Lord, all those different uh, individuals that have been mentioned, those that are listening, we ask and pray that your grace would extend to them, Lord. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' lovely name, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Give thanks with a grateful heart. May God bless you as you go today, and and may your thanksgiving be... uh, joyous for all of you and all of your families and from my family to yours we wish you all the best during that holiday and lord willing we'll see you next week uh, sunday again singing as you go this morning give thanks with a grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because you've given Jesus Christ, His Son, oh, give thanks with a grateful heart. We give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ.